Today on Stick to Football, we're going to have some fun. You get all three hosts all week long. Thank you, spring break. We are going to start breaking down our positional big boards today. Wide receivers, tight ends, and the DBs, corners, and safeties. Matt Mello Connor. Watch us on YouTube. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, your Spotify. But, fellas, we got to start the show with some news. Austin Eckler, who a couple years ago was a guy out of Western State. I don't even know what college that's in. Or it's like, state. Or state. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what I meant by that. I, I think have it's no in Colorado, it right? It is, I believe, yes. I think you're right. He is signed basically because an area scout vouched for him. The I, I read this Peter King wrote. They were going to bring in one undrafted free agent, and they wanted Corey Clement. But he went to, I think, the Eagles instead. So a scout says, hey, no, there's this guy at Western State. They get Austin Eckler. Over the weekend, the L.A. Chargers signed him to a four-year, $25 million extension. Goodbye, Melvin Gordon. Exactly. Uh, I I think that Melvin Gordon, if he could go back to the offseason and replay this whole free agency holdout thing that he did, I know he's even said he would do it differently, but man, works out for Austin Eckler here, who's had a really good start to his career, and now the guy goes out and he gets paid. Didn't miss any games. That's the way to do it if you're a running back. And I thought it was kind of cool that Melvin Gordon still gave him a big congrats on Twitter because that's a tough one to swallow uh, when you know it, it comes down to it. Eckler got the job done when Gordon was not there. But I think when you look at Austin Eckler, seven yards away from being a 1,000-yard back next year, that has so much value in the league right now. When you look at what he can do on the field, I thought this was a really good deal for both sides, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about a player that wasn't drafted to go get that you know second running back contract, that still big money at the position contract. But for the Chargers to keep things in line and not come out and, and tie yourselves to you know, money for very, very long term at a ridiculous, a ridiculous price, like we've seen with Devonta Freeman, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell. So I think for Eckler and the Chargers, this deal makes sense for both sides. It really does. And for a guy who's so versatile, he played 25% of his snaps at wide receiver. I mean, he could play everywhere. This is where the NFL is going. And I've had conversations with pro personnel guys. We talk about what type of running back are you going to give a second year, a second deal to? This is the kind of guy, the Christian McCaffrey's, the Austin Eckler's, guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield because that's always going to be valuable. Even if you start to see a little wear and tear on the run game or you start to split snaps, you're still going to be valuable as a receiver. Eckler caught 92 passes last year on 108 targets. Like Connor said, he had 993 yards receiving. So if you're a fantasy football player, I know we don't touch on that a lot. I'm sure we will this summer. Austin Eckler is a guy you want to get very, very early in that fantasy draft for next year because I think the target share is going to be massive for him with the L.A. Chargers. One other name making moves, Josh Norman, who was cut by the Washington Redskins. That allowed him to sign in free agency. He's linking up with Sean McDermott, who was his defensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers. So one-year, $8 million deal. And I'm on the side of this that Josh Norman has actually not been good in about three years. But I think getting back in this scheme with Tredavious White on one side with good safeties behind you, this was his best chance to get back to being a top-tier corner. Again, I think familiarity is big here. I actually like this for the Bills. There's also almost no risk with this. One year, $8 bucks. The guy knows the scheme. Worst case scenario, uh, he's your third or fourth corner. Yeah, I think you talk about win-win. I think that you can bring in a veteran here like Norman and, like you said, Matt, throw him on the opposite side of Tredavious White. He no longer has to guard the number one receiver. I think Redskins fans will tell you that wasn't working out, hasn't been for a while, and it's just good to have that veteran presence for a Bills team 
that's going to be looking to make a deep playoff run next year. There are absolutely two sides to this. I think when you look at Norman, like you said, Matt, he's been bad for a couple of years now, especially in the red zone. He has been atrocious at times. But I think on the flip side of it for the Bills, you're not asking him to be your number one corner. You're asking him to be your number two or number three corner across from what might be the you know top or second best corner in all of football and Trey White. And I think when you look at this team, They have a ton of cap space. They're taking a flyer. They're using a very small amount of money of that enormous amount of cap space. uh, You know, and see if they can get anything from Norman on a one-year deal. It doesn't cost them a compensatory pick or anything like that. So I think for the Bills, if there was any team that could take this risk, it's them. And I don't hate the move at all. Yeah, I don't either. Because you don't expect him to be your number one. And we have right now no idea what the AFC East is going to look like next year. So I think it's smart to get someone like Josh Norman, even if it's He's going to come in to be kind of that elder statesman. You know, he's going to help the young guys learn the defense. He's going to allow you to maybe take the next step in your defense. I think that's that's a smart move for them. Hopefully he can do it without being a distraction. That's probably the key. I mean, it was last offseason. He was jumping over bulls in Spain. I I do want to say that I, I hope he's not a distraction. Hopefully he can come in with the Bills, who seem to have a good locker room. So I don't think that'll be an issue. And I think that's an important point. Something that I, I remember, I'm not going to say the GM's name, a very good GM and I were talking once about, hey, why don't you bring in this guy? And he said, our locker room is not ready for that guy. We can't do it. And so I think with the Bills, that that's a huge component of this. If you're going to bring in a Josh Norman, if you're going to bring in, like I love Odell Beckham, but if you bring in a guy like that, your locker room has to be ready for it. Antonio Brown had a ton of shit off the field that wasn't related to just being a little bit of a diva, but the football side of it, you got to have a locker room that's ready for a guy like that. And so I think that's important for the Bills. They have to say a lot about how they see Josh Allen, how they see their leadership on defense if you're going to bring in someone like this. Now, we don't talk a lot of XFL here, and that's not we're not anti-XFL. There's just a lot going on this time of year. So it's not always easy to find time to talk about what they're doing on Saturdays and Sundays in the XFL. But I thought this was notable. The Seattle Seahawks are working out Houston Roughnecks quarterback P.J. Walker, who has been fantastic for the XFL. Coming out of Temple, he's a small dude, he's a playmaker, and that has carried over to what we've seen him do uh, for Houston. And I think when you look at Seattle, like this is a great fit. Him being a backup to Russell Wilson, they play a similar style of football, and we've always said if you, a backup quarterback has to be a lot like your starting quarterback, so you don't have to change anything in your scheme. P.J. Walker, I think, is the XFL player who has the best chance to make an NFL depth chart next year just because of the familiarity with that system, what you want him to do. He can do all the stuff Russell's doing. Yeah, and I we do get a lot of questions about the XFL. And honestly, I haven't watched hardly any of it. But I do see what P.J. Walker's doing. I, I see the the questions come in. And like you said, I like the fact that he's a lot like Russell Wilson and he's getting it done with his arm. It's not just, he's there running around making plays. It's worth a call. I don't see, I don't see a lot of XFL guys getting this call from the NFL, but scouts are at least showing up to XFL games. And I know the XFL probably doesn't want to think of themselves as a feeder league, but that's what these players are doing. And guys like Cardell Jones, PJ Walker, maybe they can get another look at at the NFL by having success at the XFL. I think I gotta I gotta ask you guys if you're the XFL, do you find a fin- financial way to keep your star of the league in PJ Walker? Is there any way you can go above the pay grade and make an exception for players like him? That let's be honest, he's the reason that a lot of people turn on the TV 
uh, when the XFL is on, or at least when his team plays. I think that's one thing that makes this new CBA interesting, and that the players are voting on it as we're speaking right now, Monday morning, because the player minimum, if the player minimums get bumped up in the NFL and the new CBA, like that would make it really hard for the XFL to compete with that. But I think you're right, Connor. I think you got to find a way, whether it's through marketing dollars or, or whatever it might be, to keep a PJ Walker because, I mean, he is. He's the MVP of this league right now. He's the star of the XFL. But how do you, like, for him, the dream is probably to play in the NFL. You know, it's not to be the best XFL player of all time. So I, I think, yeah, you would want to find that flexibility. And I'm sure Oliver Lux trying to figure that out. But, man, it that is a tough call right there. And I think McMahon probably has the money to say, you know what, P.J. Walker is going to be our MVP. Let's pay somehow to keep him. And I think you're right, Connor. If you want this league to be sustainable, you don't want your guys running off to the NFL every year. I think you have to find a way to pay P.J. Walker and get him to come back for next season, assuming, I mean, the XFL seems pretty popular, that they do have a next season. I just think that's my question is, like, you look at it, and you sit there and you go, man, how many more P.J. Walkers is this league going to get? And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do get lucky and the NFL misses on guys like this or they let guys like this get away and these guys get better in the XFL. But I just think establishing any kind of star. I mean, let's not forget, guys, Cardell Jones was supposed to be one of the stars of this league. He got benched for Tyree Jackson this weekend. So when you look at right. it, I do, I do think they got to find exceptions somehow. But I agree with you. It is not going to be easy after the new CBA is agreed upon. And a good friend of ours, Eric Galco, is uh, like running personnel for the XFL and he covered the NFL draft for a long time. Eric's a great guy. And I feel confident that they will find, they'll continue to find the PJ walkers. Like to me, Tyler Huntley is tailor made for the XFL, like probably not good enough for the NFL, but man, he could be a beast in the XFL. Like, you know, Cole McDonald, Cole McDonald, right. Cole McDonald would be crazy Fun. in this league with, I mean, his arm talent <laughs> and that just don't give a fuck attitude with his arm in two years. I think he will be, I think he probably gets picked up by an NFL <laughs> team next year, but yeah, the year after that, I fully expect Cole McDonald to be running an XFL team, right? That'd be great. Now, last thing that we're talking about before we take a break and get into our positional big boards. Anyone who's listened to this podcast for even one episode knows that we like to get out and mix up with our fans. We like to drink some beers. I don't know if y'all saw this. The XFL, they did a beer snake. It included, according to the XFL, 1,237 cups with almost 20,000 ounces of beer consumed. So it's just a snake of cups that runs down the, like, down the stands. Uh And Oliver Luck even got involved. That the was commissioner the gets involved, which could you imagine Roger Goodell doing this? I, I, a lot of other <laughs> leagues try to do this. I know it's popular in baseball and the security will not let them do it. Like they'll come break up the snake. They won't allow it. So the XFL, the fact that they are allowing it, it's a good viral moment. You see it on Twitter or Instagram and you're like, oh, that looks like a fun time. That's what the XFL needs to do. Embrace Lean the in. part of the you know game that the NFL won't. Making a big beer snake in the stands, yeah, that should be like, the XFL Watching game. that made me want to go to an XFL game. Like, we have it in St. Louis, not that far from here. It's like, if this is what we're doing, like, I want to be a part of this. I mean, it's ridiculously long. <laughs> and I think it's one area that, you know, you just said they need to emphasize, but it's one area they are doing a good job in. Social media matters so much yep. to this league. 
and, and taking on those moments that the NFL refuses to accept, whether it is celebrations, whether it's behind the scenes of reviews or whether it's fan moments like this. I do think the league just needs to soak up as much fun and not take itself overly serious like the NFL tends to do. And that's how maybe they'll keep a, a good uh, a good fan base around. Beer Snake coming to the tailgate tour in 2020, guaranteed. We'll be back right after this with our positional breakdowns for the wide receivers and tight ends. We are back, and it is time to get into positional big board breakdowns. Each of us keeps an individual board, and it, it's time to start unveiling those a little bit. There is still time for things to change. We're sitting here. It's March 9th. We got about... 45 days until the NFL draft, so a lot can still change, but for now, this is where we're at, and let's start with the receivers. We're going to give you our top five at each position, and there's a little more difference here than I expected, so we'll just kind of talk about our differences on guys. Number one receiver for me, Jerry Judy. I have Henry Ruggs, number two, CeeDee Lamb, third, T. Higgins, fourth, and Justin Jefferson at number five. And my list, not a lot different, but it does start with Jerry Judy for me again. I don't think the gap between him and C.D. Lamb is that much. Uh, if I look at my big board, I have them at number five and number seven overall. And then followed by Henry Ruggs, who's actually ninth overall on my big board. After that, it's still T. Higgins. It's still Justin Jefferson. I think that second tier of receiver is still really close. And with the pro day from T. Higgins, we'll learn a lot more. But for me, again, I have it Judy, Lamb, Ruggs, Higgins, then Jefferson. And I'm going to go a little different here. I've gone back and forth on this almost every month since we started evaluating this class. But I do think C.D. Lamb is the best wide receiver in this class. It is very close. I love the floor of Jerry Judy because he is such a good route runner. But I think C.D. Lamb dominates in every aspect of playing the position, whether it's before the catch, whether it's after the catch, his strong hands, just what he can do with the ball in his hands. So I do end up with C.D. Lamb as the top wide receiver in this class. Number two is Jerry Judy. Number three is Henry Ruggs. Mello, I like that you pointed out where they are overall on your big board just to emphasize how much we like these guys because I have all of them in the top 12. Of this class overall. That's how good I think these three are. Justin Jefferson, fourth. T. Higgins, fifth. Yeah, and I'll I'll circle back. I have Judy at five overall. Ruggs at 12. Lamb at 13. Higgins at 20. And Jefferson at 21. So I'm up there with you guys as well. And I'll point out, I'm different than you. I have Ruggs at at number two. And the the reason for me, it's not that I don't like CeeDee Lamb. I really, really do. I just told you. I mean, he's ranked number 13 overall in a year that has a lot of good quarterbacks, tackles, D-linemen, corners. I, I like CeeDee Lamb. My biggest concern with him is I've not seen him beat press coverage just because in a, when you play against Oklahoma, if you press those receivers, you're asking to die defensively. So I'm not saying he can't do it. I definitely think he's physical. I love that part of his game. It's just something you haven't seen him do. I think his route tree will need work. Again, that could happen. He can learn that on the fly. I just I have more questions with CeeDee Lamb than I have answers with like with Henry Ruggs. The more I've watched him, the more I walk away. I, I posted about this over the weekend. I think he's a legitimate number one receiver in the NFL. And I feel like with Judy, his route running is just so special. His burst off the line, the way he sinks in and out of routes. And Ruggs, elite speed. I feel like they're a little bit easier, in my opinion at least, to, to position them in the NFL and say, I know exactly what you're going to be. I feel like with CD, if he gets in the right scheme, like if he goes to Arizona, okay, it's over. He's going to be really, really good. But if he doesn't go somewhere where they're going to basically get him open with some route combinations, I think he could struggle a little bit. 
And I look at ceiling versus floor here. I think that Jerry Judy is my number one guy. I love him at receiver. I think he's probably going to catch six balls every Sunday and be exceptional. Maybe not coming out and making the highlight plays, but I think that's who CeeDee Lamb is. I think CeeDee Lamb might catch two balls one week and then because press coverage or right route tree, something like that. But then the next week he's going to come out and catch nine or ten. I, I think that he's going to be very good. I have him comped right now to DeAndre Hopkins. I did that during the season. I'm not coming off of it. I think his explosiveness after the catch and his hands are so underrated. This dude makes some ridiculous grabs. There's the play against UCLA that I think everybody's probably seen. But he does that every Saturday. There are a lot of players that come through OU, and everybody will be like, oh, you're scared to watch this guy as a Texas fan. And a lot of them I wasn't. C.D. Lamb scared me, and rightfully so his junior year because he ran away from five defenders by himself (laughs) with no help. So C.D. Lamb really makes me nervous as a fan if I have to guard him because you don't know what's going to happen. He's very hard. He doesn't separate in his routes, but he catches the ball in traffic. And then afterwards, good luck getting a hold of him. I'm with you all the way. I mean, only three drops this year, only a 4.5% drop rate, which is well above average. When you look at C.D. Lamb, strong hands. Now, what's even crazier when you go back to drop rate, Ruggs only dropped 2.4% of his catchable passes per PFF. So I think Ruggs has very, very underrated hands. But when you look at what CD does, I think he's just a dog before and after the catch. He's physical. He'll beat up corners even before the catch point. I do think when they rarely, but when they do try to get hands on him, it's dangerous. He'll body you around. And even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, he's very, very physical. So, And I think with Judy, it's the opposite. It's hard to get hands on him. It's dangerous to play him like that. I think his routes are so silky smooth and clean. And I know the testing, you know, a lot of people are looking at whether it's his shuttle and all these numbers. I just think he's a different play speed on the field with Judy where you kind of throw the test numbers out the window. And you look at these three. I mean, I think all three are number one wide receivers, and I think in a way, all three are a bit scheme proof. Now with Ruggs, you'd like to see him get in a system where they push the ball down the field to maximize his vertical ability, but what we've seen him do underneath is his ability to be the quarterback's best friend, whether it's to take a slant and go 50 yards up the field. So that's what I love about all three of these top wide receivers. I really do think all three are scheme proof players. And moving on to Again, we have we all have the same five receivers, which I, I feel like they have separated themselves from the pack. You know, Brandon Ayuk, KJ Hamler, Jalen Rager, wherever you want to, whoever you want to say is your sixth. I feel like these five have separated themselves. I still really like T. Higgins. I know he was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not combining, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm resting. resting. Okay, cool. Just dominate your pro day now. And with Justin Jefferson, I think that. Like as much as we've talked about, oh, this scheme was perfect for Joe Burrow. It was also perfect for Justin Jefferson. And I do see him as like he's a great route runner. He ran much faster than any of us expected with that four four three. But I see him as like some offenses he's gonna have to play in the slot. Some offenses he's gonna be able to play outside. I compared him to Devontae Adams before the combine. You know, not always the best hands. I think I think I, I saw he dropped like seven passes this past year, which is a little bit of a concern, but also that's a high-octane offense where they're throwing the ball 40, 45 times a game. I, I think T. Higgins and Justin Jefferson are going to be really good. For me, with them, though, it is a little bit more about where they go. Like I can see T. Higgins. I can see him being A.J. Green. I can see him being Josh Doxson. Like, I, I worry about I that agree. enough of can he separate? Is he, is he just a jump ball guy? I think there's, a, there's enough concern there. 
Yeah, I, to, he's still twenty on my board. I don't. I'm not talking shit. I have about him twenty six on my board, so, so I like him a lot too. I, I think the offense really just catered to what they had, and you can't blame a guy like that. You look at Alabama; it's the same thing there. They just catered to what they had with these elite level receivers, and then Justin Jefferson running the four four at the forty shows some athletic ability. I think that was a question coming into the combine was what he was going to run. I think a lot of people probably would have said four five before we really saw him run. But at his size, with his speed, late in the first round, I'm taking a chance on him. I go back to something you said, Matt, about T. Higgins, the spectrum that I really like. I think it's something that maybe we don't do enough or the draft community doesn't do enough. Josh Doxson to A.J. Green. That just goes to show you the variance of the floor and ceiling of that player. And I completely agree because when T. Higgins is healthy and against top competition, he really does look like A.J. Green in college. But when you talk about maybe some of the translation questions of the NFL, the Josh Doxson comps are fair because you wonder, is he going to be able to run by people? Will he just catch the ball over everyone? And then you look at Justin Jefferson. This is a player I compared to Devontae Parker, who has really found his groove in Miami. I just think with Jefferson, the catch radius is phenomenal. It really, really is. I think he had a lot of good opportunities, whether it was in the slot or verse off coverage in a scheme that gave players more space than we've almost ever seen in college football. But he still maximized those opportunities, whether it was making contested catches, whether it was what he did after the catch, just a complete player that he was. So it goes to show you how great these top five guys are. I have all five of them in my top 20 overall players. Yeah, I feel really good about my comps right now because as you guys are talking, I have T. Higgins comp to A.J. Green, and I have Justin Jefferson comp to Devontae Well, there Parker. we go. So <laughs> very go. accurate on my end. Now, what's funny is I don't know if people know. It's like I, I can't see Melo's rankings. And like I don't have access to Connor's big board. Yep. So it's not. this is somewhere it's collaborative. Like We each have our own shit that we keep separate from each other so that we can have real conversations about players. So it, it is interesting. Let's move to the tight ends. Tight end one for me, Cole Komet. Two, Bryson Hopkins. And I I shared this on Twitter. I was doing scouting calls last week, and I mentioned that I have Hopkins as my tight end two. And a scout hit me back. Like, we're on the phone. He's like, we have him as our number 11 tight end. So there is a big variance in tight ends this year. Three for me, Adam Trotman from Dayton. Four, Harrison Bryant. Five, Devin Asias, how do you? I don't even know how to say his name. Asias, Asias, Asias. That's what I thought, and then I was, then I doubted myself. From UCLA, who's just a very, very good athlete, and I think it's important to note that, like Bryson Hopkins, yet dropped the ball a little bit too much this year. I put that like with Jalen Rager. I put a lot that. of that on his quarterback. I think a lot of it is is just bad balls where, okay, yeah, it hit his hands. He should have caught it, and I do knock him for that. But I think if he's with a better quarterback, like that type of athlete at tight end, could be just a difference maker. So I think better quarterback play would help. But for me, Cole Komet is the dude. And then there's a pretty big drop after that. But I, I think it's notable. I do not have any of these guys ranked in the top 32. Yep. Cole Komet is at 46. Hopkins is at 88. Trotman's at 93. Bryant at 101. And a CSE at 102. So we're talking like round two to late three is where I would where I would draft these guys. I think they will be picked earlier. Yeah, and I'm with you with the Cole Komet. I think that he's the... Maybe one of the only tight ends that I say, all right, he can play in line and catch the ball. I love his size. I mean, 6'6", 262. 
I really like what he can do there. I, I second round though, I have him 40 overall. He's my number one tight end. Number two tight end for me, I'm going Albert O from Missouri. I love his athletic ability. You know he can catch the ball. And I think early on in his career at Missouri, they didn't ask him to do much in the blocking game. But I think with his size and his strength, he has that natural play strength, that he can develop more as a blocker uh, and play more in line. Number three for me, I have Bryson Hopkins with a lot of worries. I worry about that play strength. I think that he's probably going to be more of a slot tight end, not do much in line. Adam Troutman is a guy from Dayton who, small school guys, I don't get around to him until spring, honestly. I haven't, I haven't watched much of him, but the more I watch him, the more I do like him. And he's he's going up my board. I think that he probably ends with that tight end two or tight end three before this is all said and done. And the fifth tight end, who I don't see on either of your guys' rankings, Colby Parkinson from Stanford, another guy that I love his size. I don't love this tight end class, but I look at Colby Parkinson, and I think this is a guy that can play for six or eight years in the league, come in, be your tight end two, your tight end three, and occasionally be a good pass target. Yeah, this is not a great tight end group. This is not like the receivers we just ran off where we're sitting there and going, hey, all five guys belong in the first round. This is the opposite because I don't think any of these guys go in the first round, but if any do... It'll be the universal stick to football tight end number one. That is Cole Komet. Feels like the safest option. A really good inline player, a really good red zone player, and he's got a lot of potential working as a big bodied seam target. So I really do like Cole Komet. I think a top 40 makes sense for him. This is where it starts to go downhill, and you're just, you're going to get, you know, your bargain bin shopping a little bit. Hunter Bryant stays as my tight end too. Very disappointing combine. Put on too much muscle, looked slower than he played. His play speed's very good. He's a very effective pass catcher. I don't know if he wanted to show teams that they can use him in line and he put on too much muscle. I don't know what it was with Hunter Bryant, but I still do like him as a pass catching option. Earlier in the year, I compared him to Evan Ingram. With those testing numbers, he is not. I think he's much closer to Gerald Everett, who was a third round pick of the Rams a couple years ago. Tight end three, Harrison Bryant. Tight end four, Devin Asiasi. And tight end five, Albert O, who actually is the riser from the combine after that blazing 40 with Albert O. uh, He could be a gem for a team in round three, four, or five, but he just has to stay on the field. Yeah, that's the key for him. I loved watching him play when he was on the field. It just did not happen very often. What's crazy is, as much as I like Cole Komet, like if I had to bet on one of my five guys being an all-pro, it would actually be Adam Trotman. And I, I, I said this, I don't even remember if it was on the show, but... I think it, maybe it was on Twitter. People got really mad at me. There's some George Kittle to his game. Like he plays violent. He is pissed off constantly on the field, and I love that about him. He can block. He's a, a pretty good athlete. So uh, I I think Mello said this. If Trotman ended up my number two tight end by the time we get through charting these tight ends and looking at drop rates and things like that, I would not be surprised. But again, it's like that level of competition is just it's really really low. But then you see what he did at the Senior Bowl. Then you see what he did at the Combine. It's like, damn, this this dude can play a little bit. Yeah, I I really like what I've seen out of him so far. And being able to see him at the Senior Bowl, which is another reason why a guy like Bryson Hopkins, I did not like what he did at the Senior Bowl. I did not feel like he had a good week. And I still question what kind of tight end is he? Can he block? Is he going to have to play in the slot? Is he a move tight end? Uh, I don't have those questions about a lot of the other guys that are on my list. Doesn't it feel like... If you could pick an offense for each of these guys, you can make them successful. But since we can't, like since you can't say, all right, Adam Trotman's going to go 
uh, off the top of my head, of course I can't think of somebody, like he's going to go to the Colts where we know they're going to use him well. They're going to let him play some inline, some flex. They're going to, he's going to get a ton of targets over the middle of the field. And like, I could make that work for him or like your guy, Hunter Bryant. Like if you put him in the right offense, he could be an impact. But since we don't get to do that, so it really feels like with the tight ends, you're rolling the dice. I just think when you oh, look at this group, a lot of them are their ceiling is as a tight end, too, because a lot of them can't block or and right. a handful of them have drop issues. And then a guy like Troutman, who, you know, did a lot of good things at that level. I don't necessarily know how to evaluate him at Dayton when he goes and runs a four eight, which is almost like not passing the threshold. Remember when Isaac Nata ran really bad? That's what with Troutman, yeah, yeah. I had the same surprise where I'm like, man, really nice career at Dayton, really tough blocker, really tough pass catching option. He has plenty of experience in college over the years, but then you go to the combine and you go, is he going to run by anyone or is this a player that we have to scheme open as a tight end too? Yeah. I One thing that has stood out to me as I've been digesting the combine numbers a lot of them don't correlate. Like with Jerry Judy, like his short shuttle was terrible. And like that's not who he is. Really bad. And like Troutman, like I, I don't think he plays like a four eight guy. I agree. I mean, he's six five, two fifty five. Like he's a big boy, but I think he plays a lot faster. And his three cone was like one of the best you're gonna find for a tight end. So it's like this year's combine numbers are just fucking confusing. Yeah, we might have to just look at them like next year and just throw them out and be like, uh, this schedule, whatever it was, the surface, I don't know. But you're right. The combine numbers are just so up and down and inconsistent. When you look at the tape versus the player, Jerry Judy, I feel like is the best example because I have no concerns about his agility. And when you look right. at that three cone, it's like, what the hell happened? Did he fall down? Was he hurt? What did he cram? up in the middle of it i don't know but uh very inconsistent combine testing here's one last one for you guys if you were ranking chase claypool as a tight end in this class where would he stand number one yeah i think so for me too yeah i i think he probably would too uh and you know big country and i were even watching him at the senior bowl we went down we went to watch the receivers and it's like holy shit look at this notre dame kid block like he's, yeah, he's killing nasty. people blocking and we even got to the chance to see him versus lamar jackson's from nebraska who's a good size corner and claypool was owning him and i think that's probably where this talk started of maybe this guy moves to tight end and then you see him weigh in at the combine. You're like, holy shit, he has tight end size. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think that he could end up being the best tight end if that team drafts him and decides to move him there. We're back, and it's time to talk corners. And there is a there's a top corner in this class, and there's no argument about that. I, I think everyone who scouts will agree, unless you're just like trying to be different. So, number one corner for me, Jeff Okuda. Number two, C.J. Henderson from Florida. Three, Jeff Gladney from TCU. Four, Jalen Johnson from Utah. And five, A.J. Terrell from Clemson. And mine looks pretty similar again, and I hate that. But Jeff Okuda is the clear number one at corner. I think that he could make a case for one of the best defensive players in this draft. Number two, C.J. Henderson. Number three, Jeff Gladney. Number four, Christian Fulton. And number five, Jalen Johnson. All right, here for me, number one, you're not going to be surprised. It's Jeff Okuda by a country mile here. Number two, Jeff Gladney. Number three, Christian Fulton. Number four, C.J. Henderson. I've started to turn, uh, come around on him a little bit, guys, the more I get to watch. Uh, I still am a little lower than you guys, but, and then number five, Jalen Johnson. So a lot of the same names you hear across the board. I think we saw, uh, you know, obviously AJ Terrell in Matt's rankings 
and uh, no Christian Fulton. So I think we'll start there. Yeah, I'm. I was telling Mello before the show because we're it, draft 400 work is going on. If you're not familiar with that, Mello, our guy Jared Brown, and myself, we write 400 scouting reports. So when a player's drafted, you'll get an alert on your phone. The Bengals just took Joe Burrow. Here's our scouting report. Here's you know a highlight video, some stats. So we're writing those scouting reports right now with Christian Fulton. I don't know which guy I'm getting. I think he did play hurt this year, which I commend him for, but. There are times where he looks like he's this excellent press cover guy. There are other times where he's just getting run right by. If I could take Christian Fulton's character and put it with Greedy Williams' athleticism, that's the corner I want. Like He's smart. He's tough. Really, really high character. I just don't see a lot of juice to his game. And maybe the injury is that because his combine was really good. But... That that worries me a little bit. I, I think he would be my number six corner in this draft. I like AJ Terrell. I was a, a big fan of his throughout the season. He got toasted in the second half of the national championship game. Well, Jamar Chase is the best wide receiver in college football. That's going to happen, and I don't know that we can hold that against AJ. So you know, last year I was a big Trayvon Mullen fan. I just like Clemson corners. I think, but I, I still like Terrell and Jalen Johnson, another guy a little bit banged up, but uh, on all of our top fives, I think you have to say he's probably the biggest riser uh, of this pre-draft process and when I look at these corners I like about six of them and as a Chiefs fan I've really gone in on a lot of them I I would like any of these six guys to land with the Chiefs when you look at I think the top three I think they've kind of solidified themselves for me Akuda Henderson and and then Gladney I I really like the way that they move uh, their feet their hips everything about them and then I think that next tier of guys it's kind of lumped together. Like if I had AJ Terrell in here instead of Christian Fulton, it would make sense because he did get beat up by one of the best receivers we've seen uh, last year in college football. And that happens. Uh, we also saw a guy like Cam Dantzler shut him down. So there's some inconsistencies there, but I really like about six of these corners, AJ Terrell being one of them, Christian Fulton, I'm betting on that upside coming out of LSU that he is going to stay healthy and that he probably played a little banged up. His team won the national championship. So if you're going out there at 80% and winning a national championship, that's what you have to do. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think when you look at it, Fulton's best has been almost as good as any corner in this class. But the problem is, as Matt said, some of the lows are would have him outside the top five for me. So he falls right in the middle at number three. I, I think when you look at Jalen Johnson, I just, a lo- I just love his ability in a press scheme with his length and physicality. I think with C.J. Henderson, he has the build and athleticism as a premier corner. I just think the instincts are a one step behind right now. If those instincts when playing the ball and just playing the position overall start to click, Uh, He's going to be looking like a guy that should have went top 15. Maybe there's a team in the top 15 that bets on that happening and takes him anyway. When you look at Jeff Gladney, I I mean, I don't know if I've seen a corner move like this in this class that's not named Jeff Akuda. I mean, he's just, once again, a silky smooth guy in coverage, ultra competitive, ultra feisty. That's one more thing with C.J. Henderson. Just want to see a little bit more competitiveness out of him this year. I thought, even though he lost a couple reps, I thought it was there in the game against Jamar Chase. Just It seemed like that matchup brought him up to a different level where he was vocal, he was loud, and he had a different edge to his game. And the guy that we haven't even really spent any time on, because we all love him so much, it's Jeff Okuda, guys. I mean, I've never seen a corner like this since I started evaluating prospects. No, he's special. I haven't comped to Jalen Ramsey. I think 
we're we're putting number grades on players right now. He's probably going to have a number grade higher than any corner I, I've ever graded. I think he's really, really special. And, and I'll say this. A couple guys that didn't make the list that I I think could go earlier than we have them projected, Trevon Diggs from Alabama, just because he's body beautiful. I have him as the number six corner, just right behind A.J. Terrell. Christian Fulton's right there. And then Noah uh, Igbenogany yep. from Auburn, who very, very good athlete. I know he didn't have a ton of ball skills in college. I think those. I think we could see eight corners go in the top four. 45, which last year, none went until what DeAndre Baker was the 32nd pick, 31st pick. So um, I, I think we could see corners fly off the board. Yeah, I think this is a position that has a lot of top end guys, but there's also a little bit of depth there. I mean, you look at Jeff Akuda, he's the number two guy on my board right behind his teammate. Chase Young. So I really love him too. I have him comp to Patrick Peterson. I know he's not quite as big, but I love his physicality and his ability to run. Connor, like you said, I've never seen a corner since I've been doing this as good as Jeff Akuda. So maybe I'm just you know a little bit biased because I've never seen anything like him. All right, move all right, let's yeah, move let's into do the it. Yeah, well, let's both jump in here. <laughs> Moving to the safeties. I think we're finally gonna get uh some some heated conversation here, maybe. We'll see. Number one for me, Xavier McKinney from Bama. Two, Grant Delpit, three, Kyle Duggar from Tiny Lenore Ryan, four, Antoine Winfield Jr., and five, Ashton Davis. Now I will say we all five have the same, or all three have the same five safeties. The order, though, is pretty different. Yeah, and I'll jump into mine. I have Xavier McKinney number one overall, and I thought I was going to be kind of controversial with that take, but I have McKinney one, Delpit two, Antoine Winfield Jr. three, Kyle Duggar, and then Ashton Davis at five. All right, this is where I get a little different for me. Number one, Antoine Winfield Jr., number two, Xavier McKinney, Three, Grant Delpit. Four, Kyle Duggar, who just has risen every single month since I first heard his name back in the fall. And number five, someone that unfortunately hasn't gotten to do a lot because of injury, but he's a freak athlete at free safety, and that's Ashton Davis. Now, I think here's where the, the conversation comes in. We've all said this before. Grant Delpit scares the hell out of me because if he plays like 2018, this guy's a top 15 pick. If he plays like 2019... I've told Mello, I know a team that has him in the fourth round. So it's just all over the place with Grant Delpit because you don't know what you're getting. His highs are Jamal Adams. His lows are, I don't know. I mean, they're they're bad. The lows are pretty bad. Almost. Right. Kyle Duggar, for me, is right there with Grant Delpit. And Antoine Winfield Jr., the only concerns I have are the fact that he's a little bit small, 5'9", 200 pounds, and he's been hurt in 2018 and 2019. So those are the, the concerns for me. A guy who obviously has the bloodlines, his dad amazing NFL player, tough as hell, and he plays the same way. I know Melo has said before, he should have won the Thorpe Award. This is a fantastic football player, but injury concerns are huge for me. Like, if he Bob Sanders, his career, yeah. it's like, this dude's just so tough that he's just knocking himself out of games. Like, that wouldn't surprise me. Bob Sanders, by the way, won a Defensive Player of the Year award at safety, so pretty damn good. But with, with Winfield, I just worry that he could literally, like, hurt himself out of the league. And with him, same concerns. I worry that we won't ever really see him put together a full season because he really has struggled to do it at Minnesota. And I love this kid. I mean, he really does it all. I know that he's small. I don't care. Uh, Connor, I've seen you talk about him before with the Honey Badger comp. That's I love who he it is. Because he can come. He can play the run. He creates turnovers with the forced fumbles. He can intercept the ball. He can play on special teams. Like, he does it all when he's on the field. My only question that I don't have him 
safety one or two is the injury concern is can he put it together and stay on the field hopefully all of his injuries are behind him and now we see him have a healthy NFL career because he's just a guy that I find myself rooting I think those are really fair concerns I mean on talent and overall he is my top safety I'm rolling the dice on the bill of health I do think those that's something you have to be concerned about but just as a player in this class no one did more in the 2019 season to me than Antoine Winfield Jr., where the guy you saw win a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Honey Badger, was the same guy playing for Minnesota this year in Antoine Winfield Jr., whether it was the instincts against the run. whether And I, I love when the ball finds you in college, it's going to find you in the NFL. The ball found Antoine Winfield hands his hands this year over and over and over again, and he finished those plays. So, I love this player, high-energy player. It looks like he's been watching film with his dad since he could start walking because he knows where the ball right. is going before the players on offense do. So, uh, But getting away from him and getting into the middle of this class where we're all a little bit similar here, it, the Grant Delpit discussion. You guys have met two. I have met three. Let's just talk about what maybe people are forgetting with Grant Delpit for a little bit. I think in 2018, he was the most complete safety we'd ever seen. We were talking about him in regards like Jeff Okuda. I agree. I mean, the guy was huge. He could cover every tight end you wanted. He could probably shut down some receivers. Uh, no issues with tackling, really. And then you look at, you put on the tape this year, they're two different players. I mean, they were in different numbers. They literally look like yep. two different players. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him with 20 missed tackles this year. Oof. Like, that's a huge concern for me. And I don't think that takes into account times that he just didn't give it, effort. It doesn't. And you talk to a lot of NFL safeties. You know, the NFL safeties are the smartest players you'll ever talk to. And I spend a lot of time with those guys. And during the national championship game, multiple NFL safeties texted me like, I thought Delpit was supposed to be the guy. Like, why isn't he giving effort? He's not even trying to run down, you know, players in that game. And that's just who he was this year. And I know Delpit has clapped back during the combine. He's tweeted about this. Like, dude, talk on the field because your effort was just not good this year. And I know he's capable of it. With a, without a doubt, he is the most physically gifted safety in this class. It just does not look like he gives effort a lot of the time. And 2018, 16 missed tackles. That's 36 missed tackles in two years. At some point at the safety position, you got to be able to tackle. And it just it doesn't seem like he I don't know if it's a toughness thing because I don't think he sheds blocks very well either. Just he seems like one of those guys that we, I say this all the time wants to be a football player. He doesn't want to play football because the toughness aspect of his game is just not there. Or it could be in the back of his mind to keep him he himself healthy. Can I, you turn that on though? Like, can you turn that off and on? I think. Probably once you get to the NFL, I think when you hear that hype surrounding your name as a sophomore in college, you come back and you think, man, I really don't want to screw this up. But then in the NFL, you're fighting for a job. You're fighting for that next contract. You're fighting to be that Hall of Fame guy. So I think you can turn it on, turn it off. I think some players haven't been able to. But I think with Delpit, I'm not ready to write him off yet just because I love that sophomore tape so much. Yeah, and you hope that a defensive coordinator at the next level sees what he can do in coverage and say, listen, we can play this guy over the top, and he'll be a very reliable player for us, a very, very good athlete. But just to round out this discussion, guys, I think we have two players on the back end here of our rankings that – they have a highest ceiling as anyone you will ever see. 
and they've had a great rise this year and very different stories with Kyle Duggar being a Division II player and with Ashton Davis being a former walk-on that was a track athlete. Yeah, and it's unfortunate we haven't seen Ashton Davis. Uh, we didn't see him as senior bowl, didn't see him run at the combine. I think he would have performed really, really well. My comp for him is Darnell Savage Jr., and that's the type of athleticism I expected. Probably not the rise uh, into the first round like we saw last year with Darnell, but just a really good, well-rounded, over-the-top, free safety type prospect. Well, Kyle Duggar, it's funny. We had conversations before the senior bowl of like, do you think this guy will play linebacker? And then all week of Mobile, he played safety, and he kicked ass playing safety and returning punts like he's a much better athlete than when you see the size you're like 217 pounds can this guy move but he moves really really well Uh, we saw that his broad jump his vertical jump his 40 and it was all really really special which shows that explosiveness from him yeah I like both of these guys a lot because of their athletic ability I think they're kind of different players but I think at a minimum they're that third corner that's on your roster I think with Davis, he could even play some corner. Uh, he's got the feet for it. And with Duggar, Davis as well, they're going to contribute on special teams and they're going to develop even more. Uh, once, I mean, Davis, if he's healthy, when he's healthy, he looks very good. And then Duggar, like you said, 217 pounds back there returning punts, being the gunner, like he's going to do it all on the football field. It is draft on draft time. Let's kick it off here. H Town Showdown. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, oh, wow. Cheaters. Uh, if you guys were free agents, sorry, I know Astros fans are, are sensitive right now. Everyone cheats. You guys just got caught. I'm sorry. If you guys were free agents, what factors would you look at when deciding where to sign? I think head coach, scheme, front office. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. I would want to go to a good situation, to a team that I thought was building. It, it wouldn't just be dollar signs for me. I, I think that when you're assuming, let's say I'm on that second contract, I'm going to look for somewhere where I can go have success on the field and get that third contract that's also going to be big. Not just, well, they're paying me the most money. That's where I'm going to go. That's a really good point. I I think you have to be looking ahead to the next one when you sign that original contract because as we're seeing right now, I mean, we see careers completely tally off because of bad scheme fits or, or bad organizations or honestly just poor motivation. So I think it ends, you know, where you go matters a lot. Some people, what matters to them is their families, where they're bringing their families. Is that a place that you want to maybe end your career? Or or do you have media aspirations? Because if you do, uh, maybe you want to be on a coast or maybe in an an area where there is an opportunity to start getting ingrained in media during football, as we've seen, you know, with a guy like Greg Olson, actually, who's done it a little bit before even retiring. Yeah, if you want to get media, just play for the Cowboys. That's right. actually the, the best way to do it. I think for me, I'm so weird. Like, you guys, all these good reasons. The first thing that came to mind for me was I'm going to a state with no state income tax. I'm going to Texas, Florida, Tennessee. Like, I don't want to pay that extra 10% yep. on millions of dollars. Fuck that. You already got to pay your agent 3%. You're already paying, like, 45% federal. I'm out on paying state tax, not doing it. So that would actually factor in a lot for me. Um, and I try to any player who ever asked me like where a free agent fit is for them. I mentioned that of like, do you want to pay that 10%? Because if you play for the chiefs, you're living in Johnson County, you're going to get taxed out the ass. Don't like, please come to Kansas city. But that tax is, is serious. So I, I mean, and then for me, like I have kids, so fit for family would be good. I would stay close to home. Like, if I were signing with a team, I probably wouldn't look outside of Kansas City, Nashville, Dallas. Like, I would stay in this area. Maybe Denver is, like, as far as I would go. Denver would be nice. 
I'd be all in for that. All right, Peeps Nation. Is this like the candy? It is almost Easter. Do you guys like those? I hate them. They're just Connor, no. do you like Peep? Connor doesn't eat candy. Look at him. Peeps, no. I do, but not. A, I'm going with like anything chocolate and peanut butter if I'm going to have some candy. Peeps? Yep. Reese's egg? Okay. Yeah, nope. No thanks. All right. Who do you think will be the most coveted player in the draft outside of Burrow and Tua? I think this is Chase Young, and I don't think there's any question. Yeah. Does it yeah. feel like we? Does it feel like the draft community has forgotten about Chase Young yes. a little bit? It's almost like everybody is just so solid on him that we're not talking about him. Like, yep, he's one of the best we've ever seen do it. Let's move on. Everybody agrees he's amazing. You know what? I appreciate that, though. I don't want to talk about – like, I don't want to start doubting Chase Young and Jeff Akuda. I don't want to circle mm-hmm. back and do this thing where it's like, well, here's that one play or like here's, you know, or do the Chase Young disappear <laughs> down the stretch bullshit. Like, I don't. Right. Oh, God. Like, let's just I, this is a good thing that we've made it to this point. Yeah, I think after him, it's probably Jeff Akuda, just because you know what they are. Isaiah Simmons. I, I don't know. I love Isaiah Simmons. I think he's hella clean as a prospect, but I, I could definitely see teams overthink it. Yeah, I agree. I I love him. Number four overall on my board, but I think you also have to know how to use him. I think I've said that before on this show. I don't want to see somebody just say, all right, we drafted you number four overall. Go play middle linebacker. That's all you do now. That's the problem with Simmons is if you're evaluating him as just a linebacker, he's going to be lower on your your priority list. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Right. Yep, and I, God, that scares me about him. Garrett Greenley, our good friend, got to meet him in Indianapolis. He and his dad. It was awesome. They they came down to hang out with us. With quarterback and offensive tackle runs going to take up most of the top 10, could we see Jerry Judy fall to 15 and have Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton, and Jerry Judy on the same offense? I'll tell you, a month ago, I would have made fun of you for this, Garrett. It's not the craziest thing ever. If four or five tackles go early, if three or four quarterbacks go early. And if teams like C.D. Lamb and like Henry Ruggs, it's not completely out of the question. It could happen. Is it likely? No, but it could happen. I think it definitely could. You you kind of laid out the framework there. I Say four quarterbacks go. Four or five offensive tackles. Akuda and Young are going to go. I think you could throw in two defensive tackles and Kinlaw and Brown. Like, we're starting to see these receivers fall. And if you're sitting there and you don't love them, but you love the depth that receiver, I, I definitely think we could see him fall to 15. I think 12 is interesting. Like, would the Raiders let Jerry Judy get by? I would love I to know how they value this class. I wouldn't be surprised if they have right? Henry Ruggs as the top wide receiver. I, I, I mean, the ghost of Al Davis is strong in that building. I'm telling you, I keep going back to this. I'm starting to think Ruggs is going to be the first wide receiver drafted. It would not be a surprise, right? I mean... It's a copycat league. Yep. Every, we've said before, this is Tyreek Hill with no off field. Yeah. Yeah. Who, yes. who would say no to that? I know. <laughs> I know. With great so, hands. I, great hands. Yeah. Not saying Tyreek has too. bad hands. I'm just saying how great Ruggs' catching ability is. And, Connor, we've met Jerry Judy. We spent a, a decent amount of time with him. He's, like, very soft-spoken, very quiet. Ruggs is not. Ruggs is the dude in that wide receiver room. Like, it's his room. He runs it. So I think I think teams are going to like that aspect of it, too, where – I know the Raiders like, he's will. He's just – yeah, right? I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you get Mayock and Gruden talking with him. Like, I can even picture it just – Gruden's gonna go crazy over guys. I was gushing. Yeah, I was looking just at their gushing. last, their only draft class with Mayock. Four of their picks were team captains, 
And basically, almost every pick had super high character and super high production. Which, I guess, Ruggs hasn't had super high production, but you have to take into account... There's four first-round <laughs> receivers with in that offense. Receivers that'll all be number ones, essentially, in the NFL. Right. If they could get Henry Ruggs and Kenneth Murray, like I, you have to think that's a dream draft for them. Like, high-character, leaders, productive... Tough as shit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that that's just such such a Raiders draft. So anyway, Garrett, yeah, it could happen, um, and that'd be great for Denver. But it would be a surprise. It means no Corys. If you have an entrenched elite starter at quarterback, what's the earliest round you would look to draft a viable backup quarterback? So I have a theory, and if I'm ever a GM somehow, if some owner is dumb enough to make this happen, I would draft a quarterback in the sixth or seventh round every year. I mean, it's it's like recruiting almost. You take Why a quarterback not? every right. year. I think the earliest round I would take one is round three. You saw the Redskins do this when they drafted RG3, and then they're like, you know what? We're going to go ahead and take Kirk Cousins, too. Worked out. I, I Honestly, I think it worked. And I think even if you have a young quarterback, if you're looking at that round three, that's developmental guy, but you might hit, and you might get a guy like a Kirk Cousins who can come in and be a good starter for a very long time in the league. The Packers did this. They drafted Aaron Rodgers. I think it was the next year they drafted Brian Brom from Louisville, who everybody thought was going to be a stud, and Matt Flynn, who they ended up trading for a really uh, – wait, they traded him, right? I think they traded him. Well, anyway, Matt Flynn was a good backup for them. Um, I I don't know how you would do it, Connor. As a Jets fan, you'd probably like, let's get as many as we can take. Man, I take one every year. That's the Ron Wolf theory, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. I remember that in his book. Um Man, I would take one every year. When you talk about how early – so I've I've gone back and forth on this theory – a lot of times, for a while, my theory was if you lose your starting quarterback, your season's over. But now, I've seen backups, not even just Nick Foles, but Teddy Bridgewater. I've seen backups hold the fort where I've gone the other way. I would take a backup quarterback in the fourth round. I mean, I'm, this is why I'm fascinated to see the Jake Fromm dilemma this year. Like, mm-hmm. now there'll be teams that value him as a starter, so he'll probably go before the fourth round. But, man, he's a really nice backup option in the fourth round who will probably be overdrafted. Yeah, I, I think that is really interesting. And I, I remember um, being on the desk with Lefko and Sims when someone drafted Aaron Murray. And Lefko <laughs> just like, went off. It's like, why? And I was like, you have to have a backup quarterback. And it didn't work for Aaron Murray. But, like, it's and same with A.J. McCarron. Like, you have to have a backup. Not every player you draft is going I to mean, be a starter. You talk about Matt Flynn, Russell Wilson. I don't think they drafted him in the third to be like, hey, come in and be an MVP and run this league forever. I mean, if anyone tries to argue with you, when Sam Darnold went down, the Jets scored like 10 points in three games. (laughs) Right. When when Mahomes went down, Matt Moore, like he kept them in games. So it's super important. Matt Moore's a good option. Really is, and he's going to be the quarterback's coach of the Chiefs soon. Last question from Sam Harp: What is the cause of Lavisca Chenault to what? What is the cause? Okay, this question is worded poorly. Sorry, Sam. Why is Lavisca Chenault falling on Friday's episode? I don't think he was drafted at all in our two-round mock draft that we did Friday morning. Hell, for me, it's a comp. Yep, it's injuries correlated to testing and the rise of other receivers. We've said. All season about Chenault, this is a kind of a gadget player. you got to get him in the right offense where you're scheming touches. And that scares me with a guy who now is hurt, has a very limited route tree. He's year one going to be a jet sweep pop pass. 
just basically hand him the ball type player. So that worries me over, you know, a Denzel Mims or Chase Claypool, Donovan Peoples-Jones even. I have those guys rated higher than Chenault right now. Yeah, I still like Chenault, but you look at him, and I think it he started to lose when, with weigh-ins. He measured in a little uh, close to 6'1", but 227 was real heavy. I, I think even for him, that 7 pounds is a big difference maker. And then to run a disappointing 40, and he might have been hurt, uh, and then maybe he's going to have you know, a core injury surgery. So I think there's just a lot of things that are kind of snowballing and his not in his favor that make him drop. And then the rise of guys like Justin Jefferson, like I think Justin Jefferson separated himself from a LaVisca Shaynault. You look at Denzel Mims, who was on the rise. Donovan Peoples-Jones jumped almost literally out of the stadium. So there's a lot of those other guys that are just making a name for themselves. And that pushes Shaynault down the board. Yeah, naturally. It's going to happen. But I think when you look at... Chenault, if he goes in the third round and is one of the best rookies next year, would I be surprised? No. But for teams, and this is something we say on the show over and over and over again, is that something that Twitter and something that, you know, even us at times, the way the league views injuries is so much more significant than fans and media analysts and all of those things where – Somebody like Chanel, if they if medically there are problems, teams will take him off the board in this receiver class or they'll put him in the third or fourth round. And, you know, it's a shame and you hope that he proves them wrong. But there's a lot of examples, guys, of players that have had, you know, success. I mean, here's one last year. There were teams that wouldn't draft DK Metcalf because of his neck. Right. He goes at the end of the second round. Everyone's sitting there and going, man, how did this happen? And he has a phenomenal rookie season. Great for DK. Great for Seattle. I mean, we all really liked him and had him way Mm -hmm. higher than 60, whatever he went. But that's a perfect example of the league taking injuries very seriously. If Chenault became this year's Debo Samuel, I would not be surprised. Like, he goes to the right team where everything he does is underneath, right? He's not a deep threat. Everything he does is underneath. If you can put him in a scheme where that's what he's asked to do, I think he could be really, really good. But uh, if not, he could be really, really like not a factor. So uh, he's he's a really a polarizing prospect where, like you said, fit is going to matter for this guy a lot. All right, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning recording. You'll get it Wednesday morning. And we have a lot to talk about as we continue our positional board breakdowns. NFL free agency is about to kick off with the legal tampering window. The illegal window has been open for a while now. Franchise tag news is coming down. We might have a CBA. A lot going on, so make sure you are here three times a week on Stick Football. We'll talk to you guys real soon. 